You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. How can I attempt to be a liberated being in the midst of these oppressive systems? I felt stuck and I didn't know where I could go. You know, my escape is like reading my history books and things. I was like, wait a minute. Maroons provide a framework for how to operate as a free people within an oppressive system. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Pause on the Play. As always, it is amazing to see you here where you are challenged to reconsider your normal and consider realities you may be unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, Erica Corday, here to get the dialogue going. So today's conversation came at a time where I think there's so much happening around everyone in the world that sometimes you're just tired and you're just like, I'm going to try to find the goodness today. And this is part of why I love being able to connect with my guests ahead of time, because we can talk about what's going on and figure out how we can center ourselves as we move into our episode and what it is that we hope to get from it. And the reality is, is that even with everything happening around us in the world, as of, you know, this Monday uh, that I'm recording this, The reality is, is that conversation, powerful conversation and an opportunity to learn about something that I didn't know about and to feel connected to someone is just yet more reasons why I love facilitating this podcast for all of us, for you, for me, for every single person that listens or reads our articles, every single person that utilizes it as a prompt to reconsider their own normal and an opportunity to hold space for others that do not look, live, love, or exist in the way that they do. And today's episode was just powerful super, super powerful. And my guest today was Dr. Crystal Menzies. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. As a former educator in urban schools, Crystal drew on her personal experience, African diaspora and history, and her Guyanese and African-American roots to found Emancipated, where she develops research-based educational experiences to center Black communities. In her flagship product, she draws on the stories of maroon communities, Africans who freed themselves from slavery and created hidden societies to offer black and brown families a model for how to navigate as liberated beings within oppressive systems. She lives in the Bay Area, or the Yay Area, as she affectionately calls it, 
and enjoys reading Marvel movies and daydreaming of Black futures. So excited for you to tune in and listen in or read this episode that I have with the amazing Dr. Crystal Menzies. Let's do it. Hello, Dr. Crystal Menzies. I'm so happy to have you joining me today. Thank you for saying yes to visiting <laughs> us here at Pause on the Play. So far, how was your Monday? It's going pretty well. It's a beautiful day here in the Bay, and I'm just grateful and honored to be invited on the podcast. So thank you so much. It's an honor to have you. As I began to just kind of continue learning more about like what you do and what you have to offer, I was like, ooh, I want to have this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I was really excited. And I I know that for some people, they like to feel like they're the expert. They want to feel like they know, and there's nobody kind of giving them something that they don't have an awareness of. I don't like to be that way. I actually appreciate when I get to learn something new. I appreciate a perspective that I was unaware of or not as aware of in the same way. So this is part of why I'm so excited to have you here because so much of what you do is the honoring and support of um, a community that I don't have a lot of knowledge around. And I am going to take the guess that um, at least some of our, our listeners and our readers of our articles don't as well. And so I'm really excited to learn along with them today. And so I would love to start by asking you um, to share more about what a Maroon community is and how it is that you discovered the existence of these communities. Well, Maroon communities are, are and were, I use both words on purpose, <laughs> free rebel Black societies throughout the Americas. So essentially groups of self-emancipated Africans, folks who ran away from slavery and started their own free communities, hidden away from plantation society. And they existed anywhere enslavement existed, the United States, Mexico, Central America. And they were of different sizes. You know, Some were small, might be just a couple families living together. Some were large city-states um, like in Brazil, um, Palmares or Quilombo de Palmares was, <laughs> and I don't speak Portuguese, okay? So I know my pronunciation is not the best, but you know, That's multiple right. tens of thousands of people wow. who lived at Palmares at its height. So I use R because some of these communities still exist. Jamaica has several, about four com maroon communities, San Basilio de Palenque in Colombia. So there are communities that have sustained their freedom throughout the centuries. So one of the questions that I have around that is, and I don't know if, um, hopefully I can phrase this properly. Obviously it makes complete sense why when there was a time that black community wasn't a thing, like we had nowhere to go and we had to figure out how to create our own um, and not only create it, but to, so, you know, sustain it and to as much as possible shield it from being ripped away from us. And I think about um, things like Black Wall Street, you know, the Tulsa massacre with with that type of a thing of like we create something and we can't we can't keep it. Um, and so when you have maroon communities that created their own uh, versus trying to to acclimate or work themselves into a, 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 a white structure, which is, was really what was outside of that. 
Um, what kind of happened over time when these communities existed? Do they have they found themselves just completely staying, staying self-sustained or have they in any way, shape or form um, tried to integrate for, you know, any of the benefits or it's like, nope, I, I don't want anything to do with that. I, I need to stay in what we have created for us because we know the safety we've created. I hope that question makes sense. I yes, know it was- does make sense. <laughs> <laughs> it does make sense. And I would say it's a spectrum now. It's okay. fundamentally, they love the culture they've created. Um, and there is still a distrust of the larger culture, even in a post-colonial world. We are still in a, a neo-colonial world, I should say, not post-colonial. Um, and there is some like, I'll go to school and become a lawyer <laughs> so I could become a better advocate for my community. Um like the, a lot of the folks I know personally in Palenque and Colombia are like linguists because they wanted to preserve their language. It was dying out after mm-hmm. independence. Um, so they wanted to revive, they speak a language called Palenquera, which is a mixture of Spanish, Portuguese, and Bantu languages. Another friend I know is a lawyer because they wanted to make sure they could advocate for their rights as the first free black community in the Americas. So there's some like dipping back and forth, you know, go to your schools and institutions and live in my community and kind of make sure we preserve what we have. Okay. Because in many ways, the values may not consistently align and they want to make sure they preserve those values. Right. Okay. That, that makes sense. And I, and I mean, the interesting part about that is I can see, um, not only the kind of desirability, but the necessity to have people that can navigate, you know, kind of, kind of from, a, um, you know, how to work within this system because you are the one that can help us because we don't know that system. And as much as we don't want to, we live in this world. And so they're kind of almost like that, that, that agent to help navigate that. So that, that makes a lot of sense. And I can see how that that could, you know, help and yet also not force everybody to have to acclimate. Right. And I get the sense I'm not a Maroon myself. Now, if you meet a Jamaican, they know who Maroon communities are because of right. Queen Nanny and Cujo are probably the most well-known. Queen Nanny is a national hero of Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And they fought a war for independence from the British way before the U.S. war. Their war popped off. They had multiple wars, but in 1736, okay? So the first like freedom movements of enslaved Africans or self-emancipated Africans were maroon communities. And so you'll meet people who, when I bring it up to a Jamaican friend, they're like, oh yeah, my dad is from Akambang. And he left and moved to Kingston, you know, for a better job opportunity or something like that. So there is that kind of immigration with an E that happens too Mm -hmm. uh, for maroon peoples, but then they typically will often have some type of home and family or community still there. So the other thing that I um, would love to, to hear about from you is, you know, from the, the the stories and the, the the lineages that you've explored, how have Maroon communities continued to exist and endure? Um, Because as you said, there are some that still exist because again, there are so many things that we try to create for ourselves after um, enslavement that we're not allowed to endure or over time um, just, just didn't, it didn't last. It, it wasn't able to continue. And so um, 
you know, how, how have they been able to, to do that and to preserve the heart of their uh, cultures and communities? Well, some of the, the Maroon communities who often sustain themselves to today had a couple things, but the biggest one I would say is geographic isolation and protection. So running away to places that they could use the land to their benefit and then self-defense goes hand in hand with that. So booby traps, um, Queen Nanny was known for camouflage and like training her troops to hide in the jungle without being seen until it was too late by the British. So there's a system of using the land to their advantage to keep themselves safe. And there was a, I posted about this on Twitter, you know, with everything that's happening with Roe v. Wade, there was a bit of like tricksterness also. So making the colonial power think they were going to do something like, yeah, I'll sign your little treaty and then doing something else <laughs> completely different. So like playing colonial powers was a big part of this as well. And fundamentally the, the live free or die trying orientation, like you're not just going to come up in here. And take us over. We will fight a war. I went on a hike in a compound, actually. Mm -hmm. And, oh, child, I'm so out of shape. You know, that hike wore me out. <laughs> and I'm like, as you said hike, I was like, ooh, no. I'm Because I was like, oh, it'll be three hours round trip. I'm like, ah, oh, kind of long, but I could do it. And they were like, yeah, it's a clear path, man. Okay, that was not my experience. But one of the rest <laughs> spots was this big open field. It was so beautiful and peaceful. And they were like, this is where one of the biggest battles happened that turned the tides for our ancestors and beating the British in the 1730s. And it's like, wow. Um, so there was very much like, we will meet you with physical resistance if necessary. We'd rather you leave us alone. <laughs> but we, right. we'll step up when the time comes if we need to. And we're going to use all of our intelligence and all of our innovation to do so. And those were probably the bigger, biggest keys for me. Right. And when I hear that, the so I think two things come to mind. One is that, you know, of course, there was this assumed lack of intelligence and ingenuity, which I still cannot wrap my brain around. I'm like, how do you think we existed as long as we did? Like, do you think we just did it because we weren't intelligent? Like, just tr try again. That's That's not a fact, number one. Number two, there was a lot of like, it, from what I'm hearing from you, like there's this, you know, using the the tools and the strategy and the, you know, for, foresight of things that it's like, no, you know, this is what we know how to do. And, you know, the black people don't know how to do that. And it's like, oh, bless your heart. Yes, we do. You're right. <laughs> yes, we do. And so it's interesting to hear like these things that would be assumed they would not have at their disposal and more. Mm -hmm. And they had an abundance of it. And like you said, they had that benefit of that isolation and that that spirit of I'm going to fight or I'm going to die. But either way, I'm going to tell you what's not going to happen today. Mm -hmm. You are not taking me anywhere. You know, it's important to know, and I know you know this, but I got to hit home here. Come These on. societies were seen as an existential and physical threat to plantation society. If your whole system is structured off of these people are born to be in servitude and using the right. story of Ham, like creating a whole religious and pseudo-scientific justification 
And then you have people living free and using their ingenuity to continue to live free. It's a threat to everything you've created. There was con- a consistent barrage of attacks because of that. There was a fort in North Florida, actually, that Georgia plantation owners were like, nope, y'all can't be, you know, we don't want these mm-hmm. people providing a counterpoint to everything that we're saying. And so what I wanted to do with this product is to like show us we already have everything we need. Right. Like we are, I saw a documentary on voodoo by Jimon Honsu actually about, uh, and one of the people he practitioners he interviewed, he was like, you know, African people are people who add on and we adapt. And that's why our culture is so vibrant and consistently is so vibrant. And it made me think exactly of Maroons. <laughs> I would love to get more information from you on that documentary, just okay. because I feel like so often, um, and this is, it's an aside and yet it's not an aside because it also goes with exactly what we're talking about. The spiritual practices of black people um, are often ununderstood and because they're not understood, they are swiftly vilified. Mm-hmm. And to have an entire group of people that had their culture ripped away from them and then told to adapt Christianity when they didn't want it. And yet they took that and adopted it in their own way in order to maintain their spiritual practices because you couldn't mm-hmm. take it out of them. Mm-hmm. You know, you could take the accoutrement, but you can't <laughs> take the thing. Like it's still, it was in them. It was not just about, you know, the, the, the items or the things that went along with it. And I think that that's just another way of trying to disenfranchise people by taking away what their spiritual practices are. And regardless of how you, um, I, you know, what you identify as from a spiritual place or lack thereof, hoodoo and voodoo are two things that are often so vilified and not understood. And these were simply ways that people try to keep what was theirs when so much of what was theirs was taken away. So the cards I created that share the stories of maroon communities are divided into three sections. The first section are important ideas. So like this geographic isolation and protection, self-defense, alliances. They definitely had formed alliances with indigenous folks. It's another way they maintain their freedom. Mm-hmm. But spirituality and kinship is how their organization or how their communities were organized. And typically, especially back in the day, the Maroon leaders were both spiritual and military leaders right. because they couldn't do the work they were doing, the work of being free people without a connection to a deeper source. Right. And so here, here's the thing. I am not going to let you gloss over that. We're going to we're going <laughs> to we're going to go back around here and we're going to acknowledge <laughs> that what you're talking about was something that um you know, Indy and I were on your website and we were like, what is this? And so we were thinking about like, you know, how does this show up for the business? How do we bring this into our homes? You have this amazing product and it's called the Emancipated with the ED at the end, um, capitalized experience. And so you just told us a little bit about it, but I would love for you to tell us more about it and how it is that the Emancipated Experience supports Um, more of the understanding, the true understanding when it comes to rebel Black communities? I think part of that answer is like, how did I get here in the first place? And Mm -hmm. it's just a a byproduct of, I was always a curious learner as a little Black girl. 
And my parents exposed me. I'm from California to like Black Panther Party pedagogy from a very early age. And like, hmm, I've always wondered, like, how could the world be different? Right. Then you turn into I went to Spelman for undergrad, which really expanded my view of blackness, black womanhood, black femininity, black personhood. And also studied abroad when I was at Spelman. And regardless of where you go, Spelman's going to make sure you have a black ass experience. (laughs) I know that's right. (laughs) They're going to. And I that's where I first learned about maroon communities. And I remember being angry that I had never learned this earlier in my life. Like, why am I in college? And if I went to a different college, would I have even been exposed to this? So I became a history teacher. Like, I'm I'm going to teach folks what I didn't learn, okay? You're going to learn today. Um, and I taught eighth <laughs> grade U.S. history. And I remember one of my students, um, there were a couple of pivot points, but one student, a Black male student, I was teaching about enslavement the way I learned it in college. So we're going to learn about it as an entire racial caste system that is tied to our economics, our constitution, all these different things, okay? With the eighth graders. Because, you know, kids be thinking. We, we try to minimize what their, their oh, ability to no. understand stuff, but they they can yes. understand a whole lot more than we, and I'm using general we, <laughs> give young people credit but, for. And they're they're curious. That's the time mm-hmm. to give it to them. I know my kids are curious, so I'm like, can, can, can I just go ahead and put in a hole for eighth grade history <laughs> teacher like you now? I'm just going to put that out in the universe. I, I <laughs> I need a Dr. Menzies for for my kids because yes, 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 yes. And yes. Mm -hmm. So one of my students, and I also taught a lot about the horrors, like my students had known, you know, enslaved folks were hunted down and whipped. There was a whole lot of other stuff happening. So I was like, here, you're going to get little bits and pieces. And one of my students said, you know, why are we talking about black, uh, black folks all the time? And this was a black male student. And I was like, what? I can't believe he's saying this. But when I probed more, his question was really, he was feeling the weight of being a person whose people were consistently oppressed and acted upon. Hmm. And I was like, oh, what I'm not doing is showing my kids, that's what I call my students, my kids, the resistance of enslaved people. So I taught a lesson on... Uh, rebellions. I taught U.S. history, so slave rebellions that took place in the United States. And that was the one day I got observed <laughs> for that month, and I got written up for it <gasps> because it wasn't a high-priority standard. Oh, boy. And I believe there was also some subtle, like, why are you teaching them this? You're going to rile them up. <laughs> oh, so you're afraid what happens if we all actually just get tired and it's like, oh, yeah, for real. Mm-hmm. But my kids loved it. Mm. My black and, and that's that what matters. Kids. I love that. They, You could see them like puff out their chests a little bit more, you know? So I was like, hold up. Let me, let me tell you what we've done in spite of all of the shenanigans. Okay. We, <laughs> okay. Let me, let me tell you. So. And I'll synthesize the rest of stuff. Went to graduate school. Like, nobody's studying how power is showing up in the classroom. And I'm like, oh, wait, a whole bunch of people are showing how power. You know, I was the direct recipient of a a system that didn't want me to teach certain things for a variety of reasons. One of them, because the state didn't prioritize that learning. And we get our funding based on how our kids, we exist because our kids do well on a state test kind of thing. 
get there and it's like, oh, a whole bunch of people have studied this. Now what's the gap? If, if we know, you know, in quotation marks, we know how bad a lot of these things are. Why are we not acting on it? Right. I got raised eyebrow. Um, but then it also, I also felt disenchanted. So entered the Ed Reform nonprofit space, not the same as grassroots nonprofit. And met people who were using amazing rhetoric, like liberatory rhetoric. And folk. I'm like, you actually read Angela Davis? Okay. And I'm like, oh, no, you didn't. You just saw, you know, you weaponizing of right. the language of Black liberation. And then I felt stuck. Like, where, how can I attempt to be a liberated being in the midst of these oppressive systems? Like, I felt stuck and I didn't know where I could go. And I always go back to, you know, my escape is like reading my history books and things. I was like, wait a minute. Maroons provide a framework for how to operate as a free people within an oppressive system. And so I created an entire framework. Like, how does one even become a maroon? You know, what kind of mindset do you need to have? Uh, what kind of awareness do you need to have? What are the active steps to liberation? Blah, blah, blah. So shared it with a friend who was another history major, homie from Spelman. And she was like, this is great. But nobody even knows who Maroons are. Right. I was like, oh, you're right. So that's where that brings me to the emancipated experience. This is like the first step. I'm trying to plant seeds, Erica, you know, shift paradigms of possibility. And the first step is just sharing these stories. This is who Maroons are. This is how they maintain their freedom or attempted to maintain their freedom. And this is what we can learn from them. Reconsider your normal. There's so much more that has happened and is yet to happen. You just have to be willing to explore it and to know what just might be possible for you. These are the types of thoughts that can take you from being in a box to breaking it on your terms. Bi-weekly, India Jackson, co-founder of Pause on the Play, has conversations exploring branding and visibility. Own your values and amplify your influence by giving the Flaunt Your Fire podcast a follow today. Pause on the Play, the community was created as a space to be able to share information, to allow people to connect with one another, to amplify what is important to them and to support one another in becoming the change that we want to see. The types of conversations that we have sometimes are very similar to exactly the one that I'm having today with Dr. Menzies. The types of conversations where you learn about something that you were unaware of and how it can shift what's possible, what can come up in the future if you allow yourself to just dream a little bit bigger, to be willing to try just a little bit harder, to be willing to listen just a little bit more intently. If you would like to be a part of these types of conversations, if you would like to be in a room with other people that are values aligned and that are looking to reconsider their normals, this is the place for you. You can learn more and join today by going to pauseontheplay.com forward slash community. So as a parent, there's this feeling of, don't teach them that because what happens when you get a whole bunch of activated black and brown people? It's like, well, then why did you treat black and brown people like that if you were going to be afraid of them? Oh, that's right, because you're afraid. 
Mm-hmm. I can't help you with that. That happened long before I got here. But you're not going to rewrite history because there's too many people that that is the exact goal right now to rewrite history. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. let's not do this. This this, this is not going to happen. And it does fall on those of us that um, have children, influence children, are somehow, um, you, you know, have, have um, access to children that we are a part of, of their learning and their exposure and their rearing. And it is up to us to give them these things that otherwise they, they don't get it. They're not given mm-hmm. access to it. These things just don't exist as, as far as they're concerned. And it is so important to have people like yourself that create ways that we can do that in a cohesive way. Because, of course, we can all sit and go down the, the, the Google rabbit hole, but the Lord knows what's on the other end of that. <laughs> and you don't know where it's going to go. And you don't always know where to get the education that you can actually um, kind of trust from a, kind of a, a, a holistic place as much as possible. So having something that is is set up in a way that it has, you know, this this piece of almost being gamified that really does spark that curiosity and that interest and then can send you on your own journey of continuing to learn more. There's so much, so much that you provide for us. And there's such a huge thank you there for that because I wouldn't know what this was, let alone know how to even begin to give it to my children. And my children, who actually are um, biracial um, and they uh, self-identify as Black, them little babies is aware. <laughs> they they are aware. They listen. They pick it up. And my son particularly loves history, loves history. And so I'm like, yeah, this is the type of thing that I wish that there was more of so that they would understand about what precluded them existing in this world besides just the trauma. Mm. You know, you, I listened to one of your previous episodes with India. India said, how can you decide what you want if you don't know the options? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And something I noticed when I was like tapped to do DEI work, I never wanted to, but they're like, oh, you know, Crystal knows some things. Maybe <laughs> you should lead some things. And right. I noticed that initially I was good at telling people what not to do, but because they had no other schema, no other way of knowing, they always reverted back to the old. And I'm speaking of the people with good faith, not the people who, you know, the performative folks. Right. And I realized showing them, here's another way to do things. Here are other stories and narratives that we can learn from. Actually helped a lot in those spaces. And that's what I wanted to do here is, again, that shift that those paradigms of possibility. There were other ways. There are other ways of being. And it has to be done in community. So this is not like a traditional curriculum. I didn't want to position like the caregiver as the all-knower who's teaching a young person something it's we're learning together right and you know i grew up in the era of play cousins and you know playing outside and i wanted there's prompts to like invite with safety you know we're still in the middle middle of the panini 
can you invite your extended kinship networks to engage mm-hmm. in these activities with you? I'm so glad you called it a panini. I call it a everything. I'm just like, can we call it gone? <laughs> Whole panorama. Right. <laughs> One of my okay. friends says Ponderosa. <laughs> I, it, I mean, because we have to find some levity. Otherwise, it's like, my gosh, this is, cannot be life right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a thing. So as as we are, you know, kind of talking about the emancipated experience, you used the term that I wasn't familiar with and I was so curious about it. And it was intergenerational education. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you can share what that is mm-hmm. and, you know, how does that change learning in a family unit? So intergenerational education is really folks from multiple generations, you know, elders, I don't know what we call when you're not young or elder. (laughs) Um, Young people learning together um, with intention and learning together and learning from each other. So it's not just all the the intergenerational group are passive recipients. It's like, oh, I'm learning this new thing. It's getting dumped in me. You know, it's we're engaging um, with these stories of Maroonage And now we're also sharing our own stories and our own learnings and interpretations together. And that's how my operationalization of intergenerational education is. Uh, Because something that stood out to me in the Maroon communities that still exist is the role of the elder in the community. So um, Palenque in Colombia doesn't have a police force. Their community is one of communal care and communal accountability. And everyone has a role. Um, And if there is some beef, it's typically an elder or someone with respected status who comes in and like mediates the situation through dialogue because they've seen it all before. And what's happened and is happening in our, you know, individualistic capitalistic society of, you know, everybody move out of everybody's house mm-hmm. <laughs> and like and move away for job opportunities, which I've done 50,000 times, is we're losing a lot of our stories and a lot of our knowledge. Right. And I wanted to try to bring some of that back to us through these stories of Maroonage, because we all have these stories of resistance within our families and don't even know it that and part of it is just because like you said we we we're not talking we're not staying connected and so Mm -hmm. these things just they disappear They, they they go away but we don't foster we don't foster beneficial interdependence Mm. the level of independence um, can sometimes sometimes border on toxic if we um, leave it to be the way that uh, I think we've been taught. Um, mm-hmm. And I think part of it is just because it's still the unlearning of the master's tools that were embedded in us of how we mm-hmm. interact with one another. It makes me curious about how it is that maroon communities are fostering a sense of independence and responsibility for, you know, people as individuals and yet still maintains a culture 
of being a collective? Like, how does how have you found that 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 balance is there? Because we ain't figured that out yet. So, you know, take taking notes, asking for a friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to share, I mentioned Palenque a lot because that's the community. I've traveled to two communities, a Kampong and Palenque. These themes emerged from multiple communities, the themes I share in the cards. But I spoke to my Palenquera friends um, because I have been so curious myself about structuring, how do they structure their society? Like, how does this communal care system operate? And one, they spoke consistently about take care of each other, take care of each other's children, take care of each other, take care of each other's children. I mean, the same people, different people were saying the same things over and over again, but it's not haphazard. They have two structures. One is called El Cuadro. Those are age-based clan groups, essentially. So the people who are of your age, you those are your road dogs from birth onward. But those El Cuadros have responsibilities to each other and to the larger community as a whole. Mm-hmm. So within that like age-based clan unit, like if you're in financial distress, you're supposed to be able to go to your El Cuadro and your El Cuadro is going to help you. Right. Like that's the, the accountability structure that's built in. Um, if there's a death in the family, it's your El Cuadro that steps up to help out. So it's built, co- communal care is built into how their society is structured. Mm. And then there's a larger system that they have of communal care and communal politics of, yes, they, you know, they choose a leader. It's very democratic, but the leader cannot make decisions without the group agreeing that that's what they want. (laughs) So it's not like we elect a leader. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like, oh, we elect a leader and they go, it's not a republic Mm. as far as like representative is very much a direct democracy. You're just filtering through you, but you still need to, get our approval before you can do anything. And that's a simplifying the structure, but that's the core of what it is. Right. And it's, you know, they hit, they were very clear to say, you know, this is a tedious thing. It's not simple, even though they've been doing it for hundreds of years, especially decision-making for the entire community. Right. But that's the society they want. And that's the society. So that's what they're going to keep doing the actions to continue to embody the society they want. Another piece I forgot to mention because I've been talking is their relationships to one another. They, you're supposed to know people outside of your family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like they, you have your family unit, your extended family unit, but they're, they are intentional with people getting to know other people with the expectation that you all take care of each other. And it's as simple as, because I asked, I spoke to, I always make sure I speak to women about their experiences in communities. And when you think about it at a high level, people who know you and know your family, and we know there's accountability built in, how are they going to navigate when they know that other people know you and know we're going to hold you accountable to things? Right. It is very different when you know. It's funny. I think back to when I was a kid. You better not act up in front of Miss So and So down the street, right? You better not, because you already knew that was just as good as your mama or your grandmama or whoever seeing it. You don't don't mm-hmm. do it, and you better not back talk her. You better not say it's her. <laughs> like 
Mm-mm. There were there was an understanding of what is and is not going to happen, and it was an understanding of there was a level of accountability that other people took when they did or did not see you and what you were doing, and that was a part mm-hmm. of you know making sure that you understood one, I am wit- you, you are being witnessed, and two, are you making good decisions for yourself and the rest of us because what you do or do not do does affect the rest of us. Mm -hmm. That's exactly that. I believe in my core that I've been put on this earth to get these stories out there in a way that's accessible because there is material on Maroons, but it's for like college kids and graduate students and you'd have to know to even look for it. Right. You know, um, Because the colonial project is one of forgetting and one of erasure. Mm. And there's an Angela Davis quote. I might misquote it a little bit, but it's like, radicalism is simply grasping at the root. Mm. And I needed something to grasp on my own journey because it felt hopeless. But then when I remembered or like re-remembered, wait, there's people who are already have already done this and people who are already doing it. What can I learn from them? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And I think I cut you off. I'm so sorry. When you said that, I was like. No, no, that's okay. I was like, ooh, getting hot. I feel <laughs> it. Okay. Oh, I feel it. This is how we talk. Black women just, be, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, and, and I think that's the challenge. You don't know what to grasp and where to grasp it from. And there is a point that it's like I, the being untethered. Mm. puts like it just lets our, our our soul our spirit feel like it's like the balloon that a child accidentally released and you can't get mm-hmm. it back and you're trying to figure out how do I hold this just tightly enough where I don't suffocate it mm-hmm. but enough that it knows you have a home you stay here with me mm-hmm. and it's challenging when you don't know what home means mm. Who girl? Mm. <laughs> Let me get myself together. See, this is what happened. <laughs> I love this though. Oh, I love this. Today has been one of those days. Like I feel like the conversations have all been like, we going to church, y'all. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and, and, and get yourself together. Whatever you call church, wherever it lives, this is where we going. Oh, I really enjoyed this so much. Oh, oh I was I like, oh, I... wait, I'm I'm a, I'm gonna wrap it up, and I you and you oh, about yeah. to tell people where to go buy this oh, yeah. because oh, yeah. they they're gonna buy your stuff. I'm and as soon as I get off, I'm gonna go ahead and buy mine now. I know it's pre order, and that's okay. I'm happy to give you my coins today. <laughs> well, if you pay today, yeah, if you get it today, you will be part of the July shipment. Perfect, because I'm getting it today. Okay, today, this is happening, <laughs> y'all. Like this. There's been so much in this conversation and it's just been really good for everyone listening to hear what's coming up and also hearing how I think both of us have, I think the thing that, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the thing that maybe really connected you and drew you to learning about maroon communities and wanting to teach others about it is the same exact thing that has me excited that like, Ooh, that's us. That's me. That's that's part of my history, my heritage. And when you feel like you don't have that, that is a very fulfilling and and self-soothing and soul-holding thing Mm -hmm. to have brought to you. And I, you know, of course, want to continue this conversation. And I I just 
I can't say thank you enough for you going to Spelman and that blackity black experience, <laughs> making sure that you learned about Maroon Community so you could come and and share about it with all the rest of us. Like, because this has been outstanding. Why, thank you. I'm getting a little emotional here. But yeah, this is where, <laughs> you know, I've never felt something so deeply in my soul. Um, and when I, I see people, we're grasping for things. It's like, we want something to hold on to, but what is it? And what is it that's not rooted in whiteness? I think just bringing it back home is the key. And home as far as not just our family unit, but definitely family unit, but our extended kinship networks. Mm-hmm. And what does yeah. love and responsibility and relationship like relationship look like with each other that's rooted in liberation? And then from there, radiate that out. Mm, all that. So... As we can continue going ahead and wrapping this up, because I, I could talk to you for the next for the next three days <laughs> at least about this. Um, is there one action that you would like to have the listeners or the readers of our article that we create for accessibility? Is there something that you would like them to take after listening to our conversation in order to be a part of creating change? Well, yes. First step, um, I'd suggest if you have any elders in your community, reach out to them, whether it's a grandparent, a mentor, because there's always been times of social upheaval and things are upheaving. <laughs> things are upheaving at deeper, there's more upheaval at deeper levels. Ask them how their community navigated that space and what we could learn from them. Mm, I really appreciate that, especially because while I am, not quite an elder. I am not getting any younger. <laughs> and I I see more and more value and necessity in what we create and maintain as entire knowledge bases are are lost when we send people home to glory. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of necessity for being able to to communicate and have part of that legacy that you're leaving behind be that, you know, that shared understanding, those those ways of of navigating and and holding and thinking and sharing and supporting. And so that's an amazing thing to remind people to do. So for that, I thank you. And I want you to tell people where they can find you and learn more about you and where they can go ahead and order the emancipated experience. Y'all, I'm ordering mine today. So y'all, y'all <laughs> need to go do yours because I'm going to do mine as soon as I'm done. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yes. Yeah, so people can order at emancipatededucation.com. Again, that's emancipatededucation.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at emancipate underscore ed. And I do have a newsletter that I'm sharing more of these stories. I was kind of been hesitant to share a lot of my thoughts and opinions, you know, with the way social media is. But I realize, you know, I've been given a voice and I know my ancestors are speaking to me. So why don't I share more of what I've learned? Not from a place of like, do this, do that, but sharing the learnings that I've gathered from my ancestors and from my peers. EmancipatedEducation.com or Emancipate underscore Ed to follow me on Instagram. Yes, I absolutely love this conversation. Again, 
I want to keep this dialogue going because I think that it is a necessary conversation and it will extend farther than just our episode today. So for joining me today and taking your time and sharing your knowledge and insight, thank you, Dr. Crystal Menzies. You are appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. This conversation filled my soul. (laughs) And again, as a Black person in America, you don't always have a lot of information about where you came from. And being able to learn more about that history helps for someone like me to be able to fill those gaps, which helps to facilitate me to be able to show up fully open, fully curious, and fully fueled to know that there's so much more that I have yet to learn. And I just have to be willing to take it all in as it shows up for me. Like this, this was, this was great. And I'm just so glad that Dr. Menzies and I got to have this amazing conversation that you are able to witness and it's opened the door for more and more learning around maroon communities, which of course everything will be linked in the article. And I would highly implore all of you to continue your own learning and to explore what it is that maroon communities can teach us all. So for every single time that you show up here, taking in these powerful conversations so that we can normalize the challenging things while making them a part of our everyday exchanges. For that, I thank you. Together, this is how we continue to remove stigma and create real change and connection while we cross lines and recreate boundaries to support and not separate. We will continue getting more people to drop the veil while challenging their thoughts, feelings, actions, and state of being. So, Until the next time, keep the dialogue going. Bye. We acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the stolen land of the Susquehannock, Piscataway, Nantico people native to this area known as Maryland. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take, and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?